Thank you, Dan and choir, instrumentalists, for our beautiful worship today. Turn to Luke's Gospel, the 10th chapter, and I want you to keep your Bibles open. We're going to look at several passages from the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look thematically at this Gospel. So turn to Luke 10, 27, and keep your Bibles open. Be ready to turn. Absolute. The call of God on our lives is absolute. There are some things that you can do halfway. You can invest 50% in stocks and 50% in bonds, trying to hedge your bets and balance your assets. If life affords it, you can work part-time Tuesday, Thursday, half a day on Saturday, just enough to enjoy a lot of freedom and also have structure and income. Diet. I often diet halfway. Do you? I eat a healthy breakfast, egg whites, and then the protein shake for lunch, I'm doing good. And then for supper, lean meat, small portion, fresh vegetables, raw fruits. Then it hits about eight o'clock. <laughs> All that caloric deprivation. Snack number one, cookies. Well, this will be it. I'll just eat a cookie and it'll be it. And that satisfies for about 30 minutes, and then the caloric deprivation hits again. Snack number two, chips and dips, but I'm really finished this time. And then about 10 o'clock, snack number three, honey-covered salted almonds. You see, I can die at 80%, but in the late hours, I make up for all the calories I've missed all day, which is, of course, the worst thing you can do. Oh, yes, there are some things that you can do halfway or 80%, but there are other things that you must be all in to do. For example, you cannot be halfway pregnant, can you? You're either expecting a child or you're not expecting a child. There's not really any debate about that. I thought about things like riding a boat. You can't put one foot in the boat and one foot on the dock and say, I'm riding a boat. When the boat takes off, you'll be split half asunder. You cannot halfway ride a boat. You are either in the boat or you're not. Serve in the army. Well, Sarge, I had to catch up on some sleep this morning during basic training, and I know you'll understand, we had a late night last night, and those extra miles, and that backpack yesterday, he will not understand. No, you cannot serve in the army halfway. How about being married? Either you said your vows or you didn't. You cannot be married during the week and declare yourself single for the weekend. It doesn't work that way, at least not yet, does it? You're either married or you're not. I want us to see in Luke's gospel that Jesus calls no part-time, halfway disciples. When Jesus calls us, he calls us to be all in. We're either fully his or we are not his at all. In Luke 10, 25, our, our basic passage today, a lawyer asked Jesus, testing him, 
What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He's not sincere. His intentions are less than noble. He's not really interested in following Jesus. He's just checking. He's just testing. We'll see in a moment in Luke 18, someone else asks the same question. It's really the only question that matters, isn't it? Don't you get asked the same questions by different people all the time? Most of us only have to answer about five questions in our vocation. How many times do you think someone asked this rabbi who could heal the sick and cast out demons, the one who could walk on water, the one who said, now that I am here, the kingdom of God has arrived. How many times do you think he got asked to have a, a place at the table, to live eternally in God's kingdom? You tell me, rabbi, what's your take on it? You seem to be connected with God with all these miraculous things that you do. What must I do to have eternal life? It's the only question that mattered 2,000 years ago. Is the only question that matters today. Jesus responds in verse 26, well, what does the law say? What does the word of God say? Jesus' teaching method is frustrating to some. If you are trying to trick or test Jesus, if you ask the rabbi a question, he will answer with a question. You know the old saying, why does a rabbi answer a question with a question? The answer, why shouldn't a rabbi answer a question with a question? There's no end to the answering of questions with questions if you have a rabbi for the teacher. When Jesus challenges his lawyer to answer his own question, he does quite well. He reduces the 613 Old Testament laws down to two. He merges together Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.8, and he replies, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let me reduce the 613 law summary down to just two words. If you want to be part of the kingdom of God, you must be all in. Love God with everything that you have, even as you love your neighbor. Jesus affirms his answer, you have, you have said it right. Practice what you preach. All in equals all good with God. Well, this week I, I read through the Gospel of Luke, and I, I wanted to find, I read it in its entirety, what does Luke say about all in when Jesus presents that we must love God with every fiber of our being? Does Luke have much to say about being all in? And I, I found, not to my surprise, that Luke's Gospel is a Gospel that calls us to be all in. Point number one, turn to Luke 5, 2. Luke 5, 2. 
You remember the story? I'll summarize it for time's sake. Jesus sees two boats on the lake's edge. The fishermen, defeated from a fishless night, are already washing their nets. Jesus enters one of the boats and asks them to push out a little bit so the crowds can't crowd him. And he calls them to repent for the kingdom of God has arrived. And then after he's through teaching or preaching about the kingdom of God, he says to the fishermen in the boats, let's go out a little deeper. I want you to cast your nets. And they very politely say, well, Jesus, we're the experts at fishing, and we have, thank you very much, fished all night already, and we haven't caught nada, not a single fish, nothing, and so we really don't want to do this. We've already washed our nets. We are tired. We are defeated. But if you insist, and Jesus says, well, I do, I, I do insist, go out a little deeper, and they drop their nets, and all of a sudden, there is an overbearing catch of fish. The boat begins to break from the burden of the fish. They signal for the other boat to come, and now we have two boats full of fish. All of a sudden, Peter knows and the other disciples know that this rabbi has caused the catch and they are fearful of this miraculous catch. No, they're fearful of their master who has caused the catch. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to help me catch men. Now, I want you to look at what happens in 511. And when they had brought their boats to the land... They left everything and followed him. Is Luke's gospel the gospel of all in? It begins that way. The calling of the very first disciples are described as disciples who are all in. They left everything to follow him. Skip forward. Passage point number two. I didn't have to go very far as I read through Luke's gospel to make this discovery. And now we have the calling not of the fisherman, but rather the calling of the tax gatherer Matthew. And after that, 527, he went out and he noticed a tax gatherer named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And look at verse 28. And he left everything, everything behind and rose and began to follow him. Just like the first disciples that are called, the next disciple that's called Matthew knows nothing about fish. He knows how to count the fish when they come to the shore to tax them and Jesus says, hey, I want you to follow me. And he pats his underlings on the back and says, count them, boys, and count them carefully. He shuts his book. I will not be back. And Luke says, oh, yeah, he too left everything to follow Jesus. He left everything to follow Jesus. 
Skip forward, point number three to, to Luke 9, 1 through 3. As we travel along in the Lucan gospel, does Luke continue to tell us that we must be all in? In Luke 9, 1 through 3, Jesus is now multiplying his ministry Good leaders do this. They invest themselves in few, and the few invest themselves in more, and it continues to grow. And then Jesus spent most of his ministry investing himself in the 12, though he had many other disciples. And now it's time for the 12 to multiply the ministry, and they too now can heal the sick. They too now can cast out demons, and even they too now can preach repentance for the kingdom of God has come. He's sending out the 12. They're now ready to be launched on their own preaching ministry, their own journey. And notice what he says to them in verse 3. Take nothing for your journey. Don't take a staff. Don't take a bag. Don't take bread. Don't take money. And don't even take a change of clothes. Jesus sending out the 12 on their first preaching, healing, casting out demons mission. I don't want you to take anything with you. They wanted to go like I was going, and Jesus says no. I'm not very good at traveling light, are you? That really is the way I would want to run a marathon. I mean, I start packing my bags for a two-nighter, and I think it might rain. I need a parka. I need an umbrella. And, you know, I, I might want to exercise, and so I need tennis shoes. And, of course, with my suit, I need dress shoes. And then there's those in-betweens. What do you do on the in-between? You have to have that third pair of shoes. And I might get there and not like this tie. And that pocket square might look funny in a different light. And five pairs of shoes and seven dress shirts later and two suits. And I don't travel light very well. One of our members, Ms. Helen Roller, who's in this room right now, will attest the truth to what I'm saying. Learned to travel light on the mission field. I was loading up her luggage to leave Glorietta. She had been there for a month attending various conferences, and she had a little bag literally about like that. And I said, Ms. Roller, I'll go in and get your baggage, your suitcase, and put it in my trunk. And she said, that is my suitcase. And I had for myself the big family size suitcase in the back of the trunk, and I hope that she didn't see it. <laughs> the disciples of Jesus are called to travel light. There's nothing wrong with money as long as it is a means to an end and not an end in itself. If Luke's gospel has anything to say from the calling of the first disciples, as we see this morning all the way to the last, it is that the kingdom of God requires us to rearrange our relationships, our finances, everything about us is changed and rearranged. It was, of course, hundreds of years ago when the great reformer Martin Luther talked about the third conversion 
The great reformer says we first have a conversion of the mind. We decide cognitively to follow Jesus. And he said somewhere along the way, we have a conversion of the heart and we begin to develop a passion for following Jesus. And then Martin Luther, so many hundreds of years ago, already said, and then finally there is a conversion of the pocketbook, the reformer said. We begin to set our priorities on eternal things and not temporal things. Luther said, as long as you're going to follow Jesus, you'll have to follow him with your purse as well. Skip forward to Luke 12, 15. It just continues. It never stops in Luke. And he said to them, be aware and be on your guard against every form of greed For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. You remember this story? Two brothers are fighting over their father's estate. And one of the brothers says to the rabbi, hey, tell my brother to share my father's estate with me. And Jesus says, I'm not going to get involved. And you need to be beware against greed because even when you have a lot, who you are doesn't amount to that lot. And don't be like the fool who built a barn and said, it's full of crops. I must yet build a bigger barn. Do not see your future in your finances because tomorrow you die. Someone else will have the barns. Skip over the next one, number five to, to Luke 14. 1427. Look at 26 and 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple disciple. We're talking about leaving it all behind. It's not just the extra staff and the extra tunic. It is absolutely everything. And then he tells him the parable about the man who's going to build the building, going to build the tower that before you begin to build, you check the finances lest you build a foundation and have nothing left in the finances. What he's saying here is, do you know what it costs to follow me? Count the cost. Don't follow me until you are sure, because the only way you can follow me, including all of your relationship and your finances, the only way to follow me is you must be all in. If you will not take up your cross, if you will not rearrange the priority of your relationships to God and the church as your first two relationships, then you are not my disciple. The only way to be my disciple is to be all in. Then that cross language, could he be more clear than that? Do you remember in Mark's gospel when Jesus is teaching, his mother and his brothers show up and they interrupt him and say, hey, your mother's here, your brothers are here. And Jesus doesn't even stop and says, The one who hears and obeys the word of God, this is my mother, and these are 
my brothers. There is nothing in Luke that gives us the idea that following Jesus is an easy thing, a step-by-step, begin-where-you-want process. It is a call to be absolutely all in. Skip over to Luke 18. It just gets worse if you're not liking it. Luke 18, we have number six. The rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and he asks that one question that Jesus always gets asked. And I told you he always gets asked and would be asked again. Good sir, what must I do to have eternal life? Luke 18, 18. Well, Jesus says, you know the commandments. No adultery, no murder, no false witnessing. Honor your parents. Oh, that's good. That's sounding good. I have kept those ever since I was a child. This is good. I am in. I am there. And then verse 22. Oh, yeah. You do lack one thing. Just one more thing. Go and sell all all your stuff and give it to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven. Talking about uncorking a surprise, it was all going well for the rich young ruler. By the way, this is one of the few stories that's told in all the gospels. Some of them tell us he's rich, some tell us he's young, some tell us he's a ruler. And so we put them all together. He's known as the rich young ruler. But the response is the same in all the Gospels, and that is, you must be all in to follow me. And he is sad. Look at verse 23. He is extremely sad because he is extremely rich. Jesus says it's so hard for those who have much to ever enter the kingdom of God, but with God it is possible With God, it is possible. Money, okay, as a means to an end, but never as an end to itself. That's God's perspective. A-L-L. Every time a disciple is called in Luke, it is absolute. It is relational. It is your time. They left everything and followed him. It's not just money. It is relationship. It's your time, your energy, your effort. It is all in in every way. Now, usually when the preacher preaches that sermon, he comforts you by telling you, but that doesn't mean you. You're not the rich young ruler. He wasn't saying that to you. Oh, I read it too closely this time. Turn back to Luke 14, 33. And so instead of giving you the usual comfort news, I will give you the second punch from the gospel of Luke. Really, it's from Jesus himself. Luke 14, 33, so therefore no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Seems a little broader to me than speaking to one man when he says no one can be my disciple. One last one, 21, 1 through 4. Jesus goes to church and he is so rude They're passing the offering plate, and he just starts staring at what people are putting in the offering plate. 
How would you like it if people went up and down the aisle and kind of craned their neck and flipped your envelope over? If you folded the bills, they took them out right there, the person beside you. Jesus is kind of doing that stare up and down the aisles while the plate's being passed. And some lady puts in two copper coins and he says, guys, that's the gold medal giver right there. And they say, we don't understand. The rich have given so much and she has given so little. And Jesus uses that word that Luke always has him use when he says, look in, look in 21.4. For they all put out of their surplus, put in the offering plate, but she out of her poverty put in A-L-L, all that she had to live on. Following Jesus is an all-in enterprise. Next Sunday is our Sunday to turn in our commitment cards I hope you'll do it for the process of sitting down with your family and praying and, and making a commitment and making Jesus Lord of all of your life, including your finances. Your church tries to feed the poor with a food pantry and clothe the naked with a clothes closet and hand out Bibles to babies and sixth graders and 12th graders as they progress through life to send missionaries and more than 100 countries to make sure that orphans, as you will see this morning, have a place to be. And I was thinking about, I don't know, I think about the strangest things. You know, our vacation Bible school budget, somewhere between thirty dollars and $40,000. We have about 1,000 kids. If each kid eats $2 worth of snack a day, there's $10,000 of the $30,000 budget. If each child's literature is just $2 per child, there's a, another $10,000 it takes just to do Bible school, you begin to, to add it up, and the crafts and the materials, another $2 per child, not per day, but over the period, and there's another $10,000, and this huge enterprise is done, it sounds like a lot, thirty dollars or $40,000 is done on about $6 a child or so, because as a church, you're all in. I hope it's your priority. And I'm not just talking about your money. I, you need to turn in your commitment card because it needs to be a priority in your life. I'm talking about your time, your energy, your relationships. There is nowhere in the Gospels that there's a cafeteria line. You, some of you like to eat those places that serve everything. You know, they have Chinese and they have Mexican food, and they have American food, and they have Italian food, and of course none of it's very good because they're trying to do it all, but, but people still go there, and they get in line, and well, I want a little bit of this, and a little bit of that, and let me go and get a little bit of this, and some of us treat the Gospels that way, or, or following Jesus that way, and you're never invited to, you're never invited to a line, a buffet line to pick and choose, you're invited to the table to sit down at the Messianic banquet, to eat what is placed before you. And when following Jesus, it is a all or nothing proposition. If I presented it any other way, I would not have presented it like Luke presents it in his gospel. Let us pray.
God, you ask so much of those who follow you. You want to be priority number one. You want to be priority in our relationships. So that even before our love for our children is our love for you. That's an all-in kind of love. You want to be all in in our time, and, and you require us to set aside a day a week to remember you and make this day different from all other days. You want us all in with our time. You want us to be all in with our resources, our talents, our gifts, our finances. We're reminded today, oh God, that when you call us to come to your son, you call us only one way, and that is absolutely. Maybe there's someone here today who needs to answer that call, and I do not minimize that call on her life or his life. I do not water it down. I say, along with Luke, that it's an all-in proposition. Maybe there's someone who wants to to make relationship a priority and make church family a priority, and this would be his day to come and be a part of this church family. In the name of Jesus, we pray.